0: Hi everyone i'm trisha bell hi i'm georgia young and welcome to cte talk the podcast where we talk all about cte
1: concussion culture and sport and life as a family member every monday we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease chronic traumatic encephalopathy. join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others Hi everyone and welcome back to CTE Talk. Today we are joined by the lovely Laurie Moore, who's going to be talking about her story of her husband, Jim Moore. Laurie, would you like to introduce yourself to everyone?
2: Yes. Hi, Georgia. Hi, Tricia. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say thank you for launching this podcast. Um, I've listened to the previous guests and I just find a lot of solace in being able to hear other people's stories and you know i still believe cte even though we know more and it's and it's been written about more i still feel in my experience that there's still a lot of people that are unaware of cte they don't know what the disease is they don't even know what it is so um thank you for allowing me to share my story and our experience my family's experience with cte um i'll start off by uh I was married to Jim Moore. I was very, very lucky. I consider him the biggest gift in my life. We were married for almost 30 years. And um, my story is a little bit different because Jim did not play in the NFL. He, um, just like all the other legacy donors, he was a phenomenal athlete. And he excelled in football. And he was a high school Um, phenom and if you grew up in Arcadia High School from 77 to 79 you would have known who Jim Moore was because he was all over the papers and his biggest uh, football claim to fame was he was co-captain with John Elway in the Shrine All-Star game back in 79. So he was um, he he was a running back and a tailback so he played the majority of time on the field in high school. He began his football career when he was eight. And um, he later uh, went on to play college at Northern Arizona University, which was a division 1A school. He was short. He was uh, the big recruiting school at that time was USC. And he was offered a preferred walk-on position because of his height. And his parents were of modest means. And he would I mean, he felt that he would have earned a scholarship, but he didn't want to put that pressure on them and And his dad was a high school coach and said, "You know, you'll be noticed at a Division one A school. if it's if this is your path, you will be noticed and take the scholarship and enjoy and have fun." And Jim was uh, misdiagnosed. He tore his anterior crucial ligament at the end of his Uh, Freshman year, and was misdiagnosed. And then when he went back his sophomore year, um, he was receiving a pump return, and it just took him out. And in those days, there was no arthroscopic surgery. You basically went into surgery, and you woke up. And if you had a full cast on your leg, that meant your career was over. If you didn't, there'd be rehab. And and he woke up with the full cast, and that was the end of his career. And he continued to um, stay on scholarship. So he became a coach and helped with the team. And, you know, he he describes that time. I, I didn't know him then. I didn't meet Jim until after college. And he describes that time as, you know, he went through a period of depression for about three months. And then he said, okay, I'm just going to refocus all the time and energy that I put into training, into my schoolwork. And then he went on to become a financial advisor, and he enjoyed a very successful practice for 35 years. So um, I met Jim after college, and we were both working on our careers. So I really had no, I knew he played football because um, his college roommate introduced us, and he was the quarterback for the team. But, you know, Jim never really talked about football at that time, because, you know, we were focusing on our careers and we got married and we uh, were lucky to have three beautiful children. And I went on to work with him in the practice and our life was, was really very happy. I mean, I was very, very blessed to have um, a great partner and a great father for my children. And um, life was very good. Um, CTE We first heard about CTE, it first came on our radar when Junior Seau passed away, living in San Diego. That was, you know, that was a big national story, but it was even bigger in San Diego because, you know, he's he was the hometown hero. He was a larger than life type of person. It was shocking. His death was shocking to all of us, and especially that he died by suicide. And um, so. When his CTE diagnosis became public, you know, there there are a lot of moments in your life that you don't remember, but there are about a handful that are very crystal clear. And I remember Jim and I were getting ready for our day and the news, the local news came on saying that Junior had been diagnosed with CTE. And I remember Jim was tying his tie and he just stopped and he was like the look on his face was just shock and i said are you okay and he said i just want to tell you i'm really worried that this is going to happen to me and i i said oh well why do you think why do you think that because honestly at that time i just felt it was an nfl problem i'm like hm, you're never going to get this i mean in all due respect you were a very good high school college player but this this you know you you consider yourself lucky that you didn't play in the NFL this is NFL players get it cuz Jim would always say to me you know he loved watching football we always watched football on saturday and sunday and he would say to me like when a rookie would start playing in the NFL and he would get hit really hard Jim mm-hmm. would always say welcome to the NFL young man He's and he would explain, he goes, the speed of this game just gets faster and faster at every level. And and we would talk about that. And he says, Yeah, the speed of the NFL, it was like it's just you're getting hit by a by a freight, freight train. So that was always my thought, you know. No, you 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 didn't you weren't exposed to that. And I I remember saying to him, you know, why why do you think that this is gonna happen? And he said, Well. I don't think you realize how often I got my bell rung. He said, I had a lot of concussions. And if I had known what CTE was, and if I had known this now, the next question I would have asked was, are you experiencing any symptoms? And I just didn't know to ask that. And I don't, I don't think he even knew what the symptoms were work because he said, I'm going to get this. Well, he already had it. The tau proteins were already in his brain. So, but the symptoms were not showing up. And this was Jim was a Jim. This was eight years to almost a day of his death. So he was in his early fifties and, and his symptoms showed up in his fifties. you know, I, I, you know, looking back, I'm like, when did I first notice CTE in Jim? he was starting to really have trouble sleeping. Insomnia was really the first telltale sign. I mean, Jim always, you know, he, he worked hard. He, there'd be periods of stress in his business. There'd be periods of stress. So he would, which is understandable. He'd get up, he'd write his notepad, you know, anything that was on his brain, he'd write it down, get to sleep. He started reading to kind of just take his mind off things. And then he started um, taking Ambien and he would always take a half. He'd always say, I just, I just need a half. And, but he was also very good about times that he wouldn't need to take it. And those were times of less stress. So I always looked at the insomnia part, dealing with stress. And um, we'll fast forward to it, to 2018. That was really the time when things were really starting to happen, and these they happened quickly. And Jim and I were at the sweet spot of our lives. Our kids were we were empty nesters. They were our children were thriving in their lives, and um, our oldest son was a partner of Jim's in our financial advisory practice. Jim was slowly transitioning out of the practice. So we were getting ready to retire. And we bought a ranch up in northern Nevada by South Lake Tahoe. And we were living the dream. Um, it was Jim and I back together. And uh, we were enjoying the ranch and doing all the things for it. And, um, and, we, and, and Jim had a plan. I mean, this was the plan for the last three years. So we were living the plan. And And Jim was very responsible financially. So, you know, everything had a plan and a purpose. Um, We, you know, living in San Diego, you've got your water that comes out of the tap water to out of the tap. We bought a 21-acre ranch. We've got uh, a well. We've got, you know, propane. We've got a lot of different bells and whistles that we're not used to. So naturally, you know, there's a little bit of angst on, on, you know, how this all works. So Jim had gone up cause he was going through the inspection and he called me later that day and he was practically in tears. I'm like, what's the matter? He's, I don't know. I don't know if he should do this. And I said, well, why? And he said, I said, are you just having second thoughts? And he says, I don't think I can handle this. He goes, I, I, I was listening to all about the well and this and that. He says, he says, I, I just came home. I went back to the hotel and I just, he goes, I just had an anxiety attack. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, okay, are you okay? He's like, I- I'm okay. And I, and then we talked it out and I, you know, it was explaining to him that I'm, you know, hundred percent with him. I support you, whatever decision you want to do. And also remember, I'm going to be with you. And, you know, anything new is hard to figure out, but we'll, we're in it together and then he and then he he was fine and um we go ahead and and buy the ranch and we were enjoying it and we get back to San Diego where Jim was gonna continue to see clients and uh, another one of those moments that you'll never forget I was in the kitchen and I look over at Jim and he is just frozen he's got this look like this And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, he's like, oh my gosh. He goes, just anxiety just came over me and it just, it's gripping me. And he's like, I gotta sit down. And I said, oh my, you know, and of course I was concerned. And then he's like, I'm okay. I go, do you know what this is all about? I said, is, are you, are you, he's like, no, I just feel like, he goes, I'm just a little tired. And he, and he, he brushed it off. And during that period, and this was the month of November, he started having digestive issues. This is 2018. This is November of 2018. Okay. Yes, sorry. And um, we went to see um, uh, clients who are friends of ours, and they took us out on their sailboat in Coronado. And I look over at Jim, and he's like this, you know, the same anxiety again, you know. And I'm like, are you okay? And he said, I'm okay, I'm okay. He goes, just hold my hand, hold my hand. And then, um, then he was fine. And then when we got into the, the car to drive home, he said to me, he's like, he goes, did I, was I okay in that meeting? He said, did I sound okay? I said, yes. I go, what do you mean? He said, well, did I make sense of what I was saying? And I said, absolutely. I mean, 100%. And he he goes, well, I, he goes, I said, why are you asking? he says, well, I just felt like I wasn't on my game, you know? And I said, well, that's, that's normal. I said, you've been gone for a couple of months. It takes a little bit of time, you know, to get back into the practice. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why I didn't think that was odd because, he'd been a, he'd been practicing for 36 years and he was so good at what he did and he was the voice of reason and confidence and he was so good because he studied and knew he said i don't know a lot but i sure do know financial advisory he goes i know what i'm talking about he says if i'm going to be good at one thing this is what i'm good at and he he sounded he was and then um and then um, we went back to the ranch, uh, oh, wait a minute, before that, unbeknownst to me, he made an appointment with his, his GP because he wanted to get Xanax because he was feeling that he was feeling that anxiety. And, um, so he came home and he said, I, you know, he sat me down and he said, I just want to tell you, I went to see the doctor and, I've decided to go on an antidepressant and I was like, what? And, you know, I wasn't the most supportive of that only because I didn't understand why the doctor was not prescribing him Xanax for anxiety. And then he went on to explain, he says, I said, I said, what's going on? And I, you know, I, I'm kind of one of those people that don't like over prescribing of medication, Jim's the type of person that would have said, give me the pill, give me the quick fix, take care of this problem and let's be done with it let's move on. You know, I was always the one trying to get to the root of it. And so that I was a little bit frustrated with him for allowing himself to accept this prescription. And he said, no, he goes, he goes, doctor, the doctor doesn't want me on Xanax for a long period of time. He goes, this is just, he said, this is to help with the anxiety. And I said, do you feel like you need this? He goes, yes, I do feel like I need this. He goes, I'm gonna try this. He said, I'm gonna, I'm asking if you will support me. And most importantly, don't tell anyone. I'm like, okay, why don't you want me to tell anyone? He goes, I don't want anybody to know. So, I mean, here's, you know, the pride issue. And, you know, we grew up in a generation where we don't talk about our mental health challenges, especially, especially Jim, you know, I mean, I know so much of that is changing and I'm grateful for that, but, you know, he, he was a very communicative person. He did speak from the heart. We had that relationship, but, you know, looking back, just, I can imagine how much pride that he had in having to go through the struggles and he just, I, I, you know, he looked at this as a short term problem. Like I'm only going to have to be on this short term. I just want to take care of this and we're going to be done. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. And it was fine for 2019. I mean, it really was like we, that was our daughter got married. Um, Couple things that I did notice. Um our daughter wanted to do a father-daughter dance with Jim. And I was getting <laughs> I was getting frustrated with Jim because at the dance studio they signed up for some lessons at the dance studio. I think he had like 25 lessons. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like they were milking him, you know, oh, sign up. You, you're gonna need more sessions. Poor guy. He needed those sessions. Like he he needed it to be able to remember, you know, but he wouldn't say that he can't remember. And he, he would just say to me, you know, I'm fine. Just just go with me on this, just go with me on this. And um, so we're in 2019, so all is well. And we're back at the ranch, enjoying life. And Jim says, you know what? It's time to take on that landscape project. And I was like, are you sure you wanna do this? We, we've been busy with so many different things. And also he had just transitioned his practice from a different broker dealer to another platform. That was a big deal. Jim had not, hadn't done that in 30 years and he didn't really want to do it. But my son and was saying, dad, you know, this is better for the clients. This is better for the future. The technology is better. And Jim agreed. And, but it was hard for him. That was really, really hard. It was hard for him to embrace the new technology. He, he, he was not sleeping at all. So that was, you know, kind of the beginning of the spiral. roll. Um, we transitioned. It was hell for me just because Jim was working all day and the stress and the digestive issues. So we had gotten through that transition and I'm like, you sure you want to take on this new project? I mean, can we just enjoy the fruit of our labor? Can we just sit and enjoy the mountain range? I mean, he's like, no, no, we got to do this because... He's, you know we the landscapers were available and this is our window to get it done and i said okay i said we are you going to be in charge of this because i don't have it in my radar to do any more projects he was, oh no no this is this is my uh, this is this is my I, I can't wait and he starts off and he's gung-ho and he's engaged in the project He's happy, he's outside working with all the workers, and they love him. And it's it's a wonderful, positive thing. And um, we begin in 2020, and we all remember how, what was going on in January of 2020. We're back in San Diego seeing clients. Jim comes home, the markets had just sold off because this is the first uh, thing we hear of the coronavirus. Jim comes home and he is in a tizzy. I mean, just, oh my gosh, did you see what happened in the market today? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what what happened? And I mean, we're used we've been We've been in this industry 36 years. I mean, we've gone through the dot-coms. We've gone through 9-11. We went through the 2008 bust. I mean, you know, Jim is always the voice of reason and confidence. He understands the markets. He understands the ups, the downs, and to stay, you know, invested and to ride the storm because we're conservatively invested. And he managed retired. His his strength was managing um, retired assets, he was, he was just like, I'm just so worried about this. This is, this is a terrible thing that's coming. And very unlike him. The reaction that he had was very unlike him. And then the next day, he was fine. We go back up to the ranch. And the whole reason that we did this project is because we wanted our irrigation system to work. And so that was always like a big bone of contention of like, okay, we're going to invest in this. Is this going to work? Are we going to get the water pressure that we need? I will remember this day, that's another one. It was a light switch moment because um, they, we went, we we tested the irrigation system and it wasn't working as properly as it was supposed to. But Jim didn't understand that that was normal. I mean, it just like, give it a couple of days, it, it, it would work. I remember he laid on the bed and sobbed like a baby. It was heartbreaking to see and he's just like I am so frustrated I can't remember this I'm having a hard time and I just remember consoling him and just saying I know this is frustrating don't worry we're gonna get through it we're gonna get through it and he wasn't the same after that day I mean when I mean wasn't the same he had a constant look of concern on his face the happy-go-lucky, positive, let's fix this problem, the commander-in-chief man that I was married to became somewhat of like a child. And he, um, and then here I was consoling him and now taking over the project. He was still involved, but like now I had to be right there with him. And I realized, you know, looking back, there were so many times that the workers would come to me, so I would be the buffer to Jim, because they didn't want to upset him. He wasn't getting angry; he was just getting, like, f- like besotten. You know, is that a word? <laughs> is that a word? He was, yeah. you know, he was just. And um, so we go back, but it, it, but meanwhile, you know, what was so what's so interesting about CTE is that he'd have those periods of distraught of sadness of confusion and he kept saying to me you know i'm just so confused i'm so confused and i i'd be like jim 21 stations of irrigation is confusion you know i mean i would get frustrated with him because i'm like yes this is all confusing but we'll we'll learn it we'll learn it and um but then then he would go back and he'd be jim Moore again so it was so It, it there's this like cte dance that was that we were dancing with and you know again i kept thinking that all of these um episodes of frustration of sadness were all part of the situation of the stress of this landscape remodel and then of course and then when you know in march we were heading back to San Diego to see clients. And that's when they announced they were closing. Um, we were all going into lockdown. And I, Jim had flown out earlier and I stayed to drive back. And I remember him calling me on the phone and he was like, they just they just shut down the market. They, this, the Dow's the, the falling, you know, and I'm like, Jim, it's okay, okay, it's okay. And I'll never forget because I was driving and we were, I was trying to beat a snowstorm from up, up North and I'm driving into the biggest dark cloud Mm -hmm. I've ever, literally a dark cloud because it was raining in Southern California. And I just, I'll never forget that moment. I just, I, I remember saying, I feel like I'm driving into a dark cloud. You know, what is happening? What is happening with my husband and what is happening to the world? And, um, you know, during that time in San Diego, um, Jim was just very, very distraught. He was very worried about every person in the world. I mean, Jim had the kindest heart. He also was a, you know, a man of reason where he was going on, like, I'm worried about the hotel workers. I'm worried about the janitors. I'm worried about this, that And I'd be like, Jim, stop. I'd have to just kind of stop him. And then he didn't sleep. That's when the no sleep happened. And I remember saying to him, you know, again, Jim and I were happily married for 32 years and we didn't sleep apart. We slept together. And there were times like if I were out at night at book club with my girlfriends, he'd say, Could you just like be home by 10? He's like, I just need you. I need, I used to call me bird, he goes, I need my bird in the bed with me. He goes, I don't sleep. And I, you know, of course that's darling and whatnot, but you know, now I also, I'd say to him, I go, Jim, you know, I'm not getting any sleep because he was always very considerate when he couldn't sleep, but, but he wasn't being considerate. And he was turning on the light and I'd be like, Jim, I can't sleep. And I said, and he said, okay, I'll, he goes, looked at me like, all right, I'll go down to the guest bedroom, you know, with like disappointed that I wasn't wanting him to be. I said, we, I said, we got to keep our immunity healthy. I said, they say that this is part of it. And then my son ended up getting coronavirus. And you would have thought, I mean, he was ready to write the obituary. I mean, and we were all having to console Jim, you know, I mean that the stress of that virus was really for me. I mean, my son's young and he was with his fiance and they lived right in our neighborhood we were able to be right by and we we knew medical professionals we knew that we could get help if we needed to have help and it turned out you know it was it was I mean he had a high fever but and you know this this we all I I don't know if you guys remember but we didn't know how this disease was gonna be with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first reaction was like, is this gonna be like the plague and we're gonna have people dropping in the streets? You know, I mean we just we were just didn't know. And and so again, another situation of Jim really reacting to this, but also for me to be able to justify, well, of course he's worried. You know, we're all worried. And um, you know, during this time you know, Jim was contemplating suicide, unbeknownst to me. I mean, a lot of people have asked me after this, you know, did you see any of the signs? I said, the only sign that I saw was Jim and I were going for a walk. And, you know, I, I I was his partner in finance. You know, I, I did the payroll. I paid all the bills. I knew all our investments. Jim, as a financial advisor years ago, had, had written out directives, you know, if I die, all the life insurance, all of this, everything was laid out. Um, but we had bought the ranch and I said, he, I, he said something, he said, he said, Oh, if, if, if if something happens to me, you know, how do you feel about keeping the ranch and I said oh yeah we haven't talked about that I said you know I know everything else I go well can I keep the ranch he says no you you can afford to keep the ranch and I said I don't know if I would ever want to live there without you I said Jim this is our project and I said are you okay with me selling it because he never wanted me to sell our family home that we we live here in San Diego he says he, he wants to keep that for generations I said, "What do you, What are your thoughts about that?" He says, "No." He goes, "Because I I I could see you selling it, and make sure you sell it as is." And I said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" He goes, "Well, with all the tools, all the furniture," he said, "Sell it as is." And I didn't think anything of it at the time, because we were just talking about what if he got coronavirus and he died from that? You know, we're and this is a conversation that we had never talked about. but but he was giving me the directive, unbeknownst to me at the time. Um so you know, but again, during this time, a lot of the stress that I'm talking about, but then here we are watching Netflix, the same, you know, same Jim Moore. You know, it it was that dance of being Jim Moore and then not being Jim Moore. And our children noticed at the time, our adult children noticed that they're like, dad is just, you know, we're, we're, we're worried about dad. I mean, he's his emotional, he's in, in a way too, you know, I haven't touched upon some anger issues. I mean, he did exemplify anger issues in his fifties, you know, never, never one always justified because it was provoked. He would just have that tendency to just take it to the next level verbally, you know, where I would say to him, stop, stop, stop. You know, you do not want to, you do not want to continue with what you're saying. And then afterwards, when I would say to him, why did you say that? You know, do, do you, he would not remember what he said. And for times that he did remember, it was always just intense remorse. And it's like, I don't know why I said that. And I don't know where that comes from. And of course, now we do know. So I, I mean, I'm touching upon that lightly. There were many instances of that. It's just that at the latter part of his life, that wasn't the case. I mean, my kids were almost saying, you know, dad became very compassionate and very understanding. And we were like, dad, we're okay. We're okay. Kind of thing. And so we, we, we head back up to the ranch. We're finishing the the landscape project, you know, and, and I'm thinking once this project is done, We've all settled into to our life in with COVID. We all know we're all going to be okay-ish, right? So what better place to um, stay at home than a uh, wide open space? And um, we get up there and things are getting worse. Just no sleep. Um, I had never watched the movie Concussion. And I w- Jim never wanted to watch it. Like, I said, you want to watch this movie? He's like, no, no, I'm not going to watch it. And had I watched it, when, when I watched it after Jim had passed and I saw Mike Webster, how they portrayed his look of frozen horror on his face, I woke up. But by this time, Jim and I were sleeping in separate beds, you know, ever since that for a month, because he couldn't, he wasn't sleeping. I wake up and he has this just look on his face, just frozen and in, in, in agony. I'm like, Jim, are you okay? And he's like, I'm not okay. He's like, I'm not okay. He's like, my head is pounding. He says, I can't sleep. And he says, I'm not okay. He goes, I think I have Alzheimer's. I think I have Alzheimer's. And I'm like, Jim, You don't have you know, I'm comforting him. And I'm like, you don't have Alzheimer's. People who have Alzheimer's don't know they have Alzheimer's. They don't know. I said I said, why do you think that? He goes, I just he goes, my I'm confused all the time. He says, every day. He's like, I'm just so confused. I said, How much did you sleep? He says, I didn't sleep. And so I bring him into the room and I'm rubbing his head rubbing his back and you know he finally got to sleep the next morning when I woke up he was gone and he sent me a text and he said his voice was bird I'm up here at Lake Tahoe he says this place he goes nobody's here I mean when do you ever see Lake Tahoe with nobody there. I mean, it's it's even in you know in the winter with skiing, summertime with the boating. He said he goes, "Let me show you this place." He brought his bike up. He goes, "Let me show you this place." He goes, "The gate is open." He goes, "Nobody's here. It's so peaceful. It's so beautiful." He goes, "I'm gonna go ride my bike." And he's riding his bike as he's taping and he's saying, hi, you know, "Hi to the." There's one other person. He says, "Hi to." He says, "Oh," he goes, "I wish you were here with me." He goes, we'll definitely have to do this soon. And then I texted him and I said, oh, I'm so happy you're doing that. I'm so happy that you're you're enjoying Lake Tahoe. He says, yeah. He goes, I'll see you in a little bit. You know, I'm coming back to, to help the workers. And this is this is Wednesday. And he comes back. He's helping the workers. I was running some errands. So at the end of the day, we used to congregate outside and just kind of talk about the day. And I said, Jim, so Jim said, no, Jim had text, said to me outside, I said, how, how was your day? And he goes, I have something I have to tell you. He said, but I'll tell you later. So Jim, you know, Jim, one of the things that I have to say, I always admired about him is that he had incredible discipline with his food. He had incredible discipline with alcohol and he had discipline with his medication, you know, with, with, I never worried about him becoming addicted to xanax and you know when he had knee surgery he would take the percocet and then he'd be off so there was no addiction issues with him what i was noticing and we were all doing it we were all drinking more during the coronavirus but i noticed jim was really out of character drinking so he came in it's like four o'clock he was ready to shower And he's just like, I just, he's like, I'm just going to have a glass of wine. And he he pours it, takes a shower, comes back, has another glass of wine. And this is four o'clock in the afternoon. And this is very uncharacteristic of Jim. And he hasn't been able to eat anything for the last three days. Digestively, he was having those issues. And so we go out and we're, we're, we're talking about our day and and he's slurring his words. And I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, you know, dude, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, I said, what happened today? Isn't there something you wanted to tell me? (sighs) He said, he goes, I was driving. He said, I had to pull over. I don't, I didn't know where I was going. He said, I started crying. He said, I was panicking. He said, I got out of the car. He said, I was afraid like a policeman was going to come up and arrest me because I was just having an attack, an anxiety attack. I just about dropped. And I said, are you serious? I said, how did you handle it? He said, I saw the pine trees. I saw the pine trees. I saw the pine trees. And I just kept breathing. And I kept breathing. I said, how do you forget? He goes, I don't know. He said, this is happening to me. He's like, I am, I'm like leaving myself. And I'm like, Okay, Jim, something is really, really wrong. And he said to me, he's, he said, I know, something really is wrong. And he said, I think it's Alzheimer's. And I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm not. I said, let's go, let, we need to see a doctor. And he said, who, who's going to see me during coronavirus? Like, how are we going to get in? You know, and Jim was the type of guy that he advocated for himself. He was Mr. Doctor. You know, he 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 had a problem. He'd get right in to see the doctor. There, there was no, he would always say to me, go in and see a doctor. And I'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah. He's like, go in and take care of this." So for him to be in that, like, who am I going to see, that forlorn expression of himself Again, I was I, I said to him and I said, Jim, I don't know what doctor we're going to see, but I'm going to take control of this. OK, let will you allow me to find the help that we need to help? And I was telling him because like, I was saying, you're very anxious. I said I was just reading about how meditation therapy will help. And he says, therapy, I'm not doing therapy. I don't need therapy. I, and I was like, I was very frustrated with him. I said, well, I need therapy. And and he said, well, why? I go to deal with you. And I finally said, you know, Jim, I know, I know we laugh. I said, Jim, this is serious. Okay. I have been, kind of walking around this, you know, for the last couple of weeks, but where is my Jim Moore commander in chief? I said, you are not handling things the way you normally handle things. I go, and I am worried. I'm legitimately worried. I go, you're slurring your words. And he, he was saying to me, Bert, he used to call me bird. He goes, you're being awfully mean to me. I'm like, I am not being mean. This needs, this needs attention. And he's like, okay. And then he said to me, he was patting me on the shoulder. He goes, ah, I will, I will. We're we're gonna go get uh, I will. Uh, whatever you would like me to do, I'll I thank you for your support. I, I'm there with you. And I just remember I was just really just frustrated and I was angry. And I went for a walk down the street. And I'll never forget this. There was a beautiful full moon and the full moon was rising. And I mean, I lived on a street where there like for two miles, there was two other homes. So it was wide open space. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that such alone, like this loneliness creeping in of despair for me because I knew in that moment that there was something really, really wrong. You know, you just, you just have that intuitive sense and I could not name it. I could not name it. And that is why I do tell the story because there may be someone like me who absolutely doesn't know that it's CTE, that he's showing signs of CTE and where to get help, you know, where do you go to get help? I mean, at that moment, it was like, okay, where do I start? Where do I start? And I remember saying a prayer, just going, please help me find the help that I need for Jim so i get back to the house and she was like where did you go and i said i just took a walk down the street and he and he hugged me and he said you know don't worry bird we're gonna find answers he goes thank you for your help he says we're gonna find the answers and our children were coming for the weekend and he said you know after the kids leave he says i'm whatever you know i'm, I'm with you on this and um he went to sleep and um that was on a Wednesday and then my children were uh, were to arrive my daughter first on Saturday. And, um, we woke up on that day. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. I'll never forget this day because it was springtime in um, Lake Tahoe. And, um, I woke up that day and Jim was in the bed with me and he was hugging me. And I said, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Jim slept through the night. It was just like, it it was just like that warm feeling. I remembered like, like, you're just that subtle, just waking up and you're just, you know, just, is this a dream? Is this a dream? Oh no, Jim's in the bed. And Jim was Jim that day. I said, Jim, you slept through the night. He goes, I know, can you believe it? And I'm like, oh, we're coming to the end of this remodel. You know, yay. And things are gonna be, the kids are coming. Yay, things are great. And Jim said to me that morning, he goes, You know, I'm going to go take a drive. And would you like to come with me? And I actually, you know, it's a beautiful drive that we go out to. And I actually um, would have, but I needed to get to the grocery store and get things prepared for the kids to come. And I said, No, I, I need this time. So um, he came back from his drive. And then he said to me, He says, You know, you know how you've always told me, you know, you know how I'm big on gr- gratitudes and being grateful. He says, I'm, I'm going to take some time. He goes, you know, this has been a rough period. Um, I think I need to go back and write all the things that I'm grateful for again. And I said, that is, I love that idea. He said, you know, I'm going to shut the door to the bedroom. He said, cause I'm probably going to, if the door is shut, it's, I'm taking a nap. I'm like, Oh, that's fair. You know? And I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, the door was shut I was making lunch. He comes out and I said, Oh, did you, did you write the gratitudes? And he goes, yes. He goes, I'll share them with, with the you and the kids when they, when they get here. And, um, I was getting ready to leave and to go, uh, get something for dinner. And, um, it's funny because our life during COVID, I, I, I'm i sure a lot of your life was like this too. You didn't dress, you were in your sweats, you're in your workout wear, that's how it was for us. We would get up, get in our workout wear, then take a shower and get in our, what we called our nightwear at night. So, but by, for some reason, I just happened to shower and put on makeup that day and he I was I was heading out and Jim got up like he always did and he'd always walk me to the door and he said you know I just want to tell you how beautiful you are and I said oh you're probably like thank god put on makeup you showered and he says stop stop he goes you're always beautiful and he said I just you know I just really want to thank you for being such a supportive wife he said you know I couldn't be luckier and I said thank you Jim you know And he says, no, you've been so great. He goes, I know I was giving you a hard time. He goes, but I just really want to thank you. And he goes, and I love you. And I'm like, I love you. And I didn't think anything of it because that's how Jim spoke to me. And I was blocking out the door and he says, you know what I love most about you? And I said, what? He goes, you have, and he said, your ability to make everyone feel a little bit better. And then um, I said, okay. Oh, and I looked at my list and I said, hey, you know what? I forgot the turkey. Do you want me to get the turkey from the deli that you like? And he said, yeah. He goes, I said, how much do you want? And he goes, give me a quarter pound. And I said, okay, I'll see you later. And I remember that like that day walking, like driving. And I'm like, Chem is back. Oh, I felt like happy. I felt relief. I saw, I saw that sign for him And I came back from the grocery. Oh, and then he had told me, he said, you know, Ron, our neighbor, he needs a little bit of help. He's fixing his fence. He had texted me earlier asking if I would come over and help him. He goes, so if I'm not home, that's where I'm at. And um, I got home and I didn't even really notice that Jim's car wasn't even there, but I noticed that the TV off was off and the lights were out and he always... And then I'm like, Oh, Jim's at Ron's. That's where he is. Cause he would always leave me a note if he was ever gone. And he didn't tell me where he was. He was always leaving me a note. And um, I put the groceries away. And then I was, I looked down the street and I didn't see Jim at Ron's and I was like, where is that? Where is that guy at? And I was just getting ready to text him and a note, a text came in and I was on it and my daughter was on it. And he said, you know, I love you to the moon and backward and to Caitlin, he said, I love you. And then he said to me, you know, it was, it was mother's day weekend and Jim was always getting me chocolate and I have a love hate relationship with chocolate. I hate it. Cause I love it so much. And I was like, Oh, he, he said, you know, in, um, he says, you know, in the guest bedroom, he said, there's, um, there's, I have something for you in the top drawer of the bureau. And, um, he says to the effect, like, you know, just read it when you get back from the grocery store. I remember like thinking, oh, damn, it's that chocolate. And I'm like, all right, all right. And as I'm walking down the hall, I just had this heavy feeling in my stomach. It's just, it's interesting how that intuitive intuitiveness comes in of something and and as I was walking I was getting heavier and heavier and um opening up I remember just when I was ready to open that door I was thinking do I want to do I do I want to open this I just had this feeling and and it was a note and he I, I it started with just saying you know reading saying to my children you know to Michael to Michael Caitlin and Patrick and my bird he goes As you know, I've been suffering from anxiety and depression, and it's getting worse. So today i made the difficult decision to end my life. And that's as far as I got with the no. And it was shocking and devastating to all of us. And I remember in that moment, just kind of thinking, I have to stop this. You know, I didn't know where Jim was. I'm like, I have to stop this. And... I just was like, I can't believe this is happening. How, how is this happening? I mean, Jim Moore was the biggest lover of life. I mean, he was designing that landscape project for his future grandchildren. You know, he would put the boulders on that and say, this is for the grandkids. So the shock of that. And I remember um, calling my daughter and, and saying, because I, I you go into this, fight or flight, but there's another one called freeze. And I was in the freeze. And it was just that moment of just trying to stop it, to prevent it. And I mean, I don't know, Trisha, if you remember this. Do you remember I, I had this vision of Jim just driving like AJ Cowles and OJ Simpson back in the day. <laughs> and for some reason I just came into my mind like he's driving, you know, crazily down the street. I, I gotta stop it. And so anyway, um I called my daughter and she, you know, I mean, she's in a state and she's like, call, call the the suicide prevention. And then all of a sudden it just hit me, no, call 911. And so um when we did uh call nine one one, the you know, the the officer or the the dispatcher, bless his heart, you know, he was great. And he put me on hold for a quick second. And at that moment, Jim had driven to a hospital. I mean, he If there's a kind way to do things this was it was planned out i mean he wanted to do the least amount of damage collateral damage to people so he actually was in the hospital parking lot and nobody was around to witness it um and he shot himself in the head and his driver's license was out in the um his car he had a note, the, the same copy of the note that he wrote for me. He wrote a note to the officer saying, I'm very to tell my wife of over 32 years that I love her. And I'm so, so, so sorry. And because he was in the parking lot, they got to him quickly. So he didn't pass right away and um i'm telling this part of the story because had this not have happened i wouldn't be sitting here with you i wouldn't have known this was cte and um so they they got him and he was an organ donor so you know being in 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 a rural part of nevada they life flighted him to reno because that's where the organ donations were going to be and i'll fast forward i mean it was it was you know i mean I was, I remember just looking in the mirror because a police officer had greeted me and I had neighbors all around that would have been there in a second, but I just could not comprehend what was going on and he hadn't passed yet. So they, so this young officer was saying to me, there were several, several gunshot wounds and I'm just thinking, what the heck just happened? You know, really? And I remember just feeling this nauseated feeling like just going what, is this a cry for help? What, what is this? And, um, you know, getting to the hospital down to Reno for the organ donation, Jim was on a respirator. And um, and while we were driving down there, of course, you know, we had notified all of our children. And, you know, this is where I, I'm so grateful for a conversation that Jim had with my oldest son, Michael who um, is the partner in the financial advisory practice. It was August of 2019 and Jim, my daughter was getting married and Jim and Michael were having their suits made for the wedding. And um, Sarah Staggs is, works for Tom James. We have known Sarah for 30 years. And her husband, Jeff was a charger, San Diego charger. And he had um, died of a heart attack suddenly, unexpectedly. And she was telling Jim, you know, Jeff was diagnosed with stage three CTE. And after she left, Jim pulled Michael into his office and he said, look, I just want you to know, I think I have this. And he said, I need you to watch out for your old man. He goes, you have to be able to tell me if I'm starting to wander, if I'm not in the meeting, if I'm not responding, he goes, he goes, you really have to tell me. And Michael's like, no, dad, you're fine. You're good. You're good. But I will, I will, I will watch out for you. And if that conversation had, didn't happen. I mean, Michael was, he was, he was driving up from San Diego and he called, Uh, me and by then my daughter Caitlin and her husband we were driving to Reno and he said he said mom it's the damn CTE I'm like what and he goes it's the CTE he's like get that brain get that brain donated and he was saying to my and my daughter was like I will I will Mike and you know I am so grateful for my children I mean they were able to step up in one of the most difficult days of their life had they not taken the lead on this and I mean, it was not easy to get that brain from the from the coroner in um, Northern Nevada. And we almost missed the window of opportunity because um, a long story short, and I don't wanna say anything negative about people, but had the organ donor been a little bit more compassionate to the fact that I didn't quite understand what he was saying they were going to keep Jim on the the respirator for three days. And I was like, why? You know, I mean, I I, I just was like, what do I come visit him? What, what, I mean, you know, what, what do I do? And he wasn't explaining why. And I remember just a thought came into my head. And I, it was Jim saying like, you're not supposed to be here. You're not even supposed to be here. Let me go. Just, just let me go and move on. Had we kept him on the res- respirator, we, so we made the decision to, to um, pull the plug and had he been kept on for longer than eight hours, his brain, um, the tissue would have been compromised and we would not have been able to study it. And um, during the 10 months of waiting for the diagnosis, I was preparing for no, no CTE. I just still, even though I read the legacy stories, I could see part of the stories, but because Jim didn't have the violence and he wasn't draining our finances and the just, it was the duration of it. I mean, it was severe, but two months is not that long of a time. And, um, and I was preparing for a no, but he did he was diagnosed stage three CTE. And when I go back and read his letter, I mean, all of his clues was there in plain sight. It's just that I couldn't absorb it. I mean, he was saying the anxiety, the depression. I didn't know he was suffering from depression. I He did not, he wouldn't share that with me. He was talking about the memory loss and the confusion and he said it's getting worse he said all day i suffered from it from it every day and all day and then mostly he said i'm i wish i wasn't sick i am not getting better and apologizing for his action but explaining that i don't want to die old and slow and i don't want to have to put you through that and even even you know reading that letter it's still not Jim Moore, you know. You you realize that CTE is taking over what he's writing, and um, so the diagnosis has brought some sort of peace to our family. and And this is a raw, you know. I'm 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 sharing a raw story with you. And the, and the reason I tell this story is that I never thought CTE would ever be a part of my life. I mean, I could bet my whole life savings. And it does affect people that do not play in the NFL. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And uh, there is help. I mean, now I know I could have called the concussion legacy hotline. I could have been put in touch with doctors that study CTE, that no CTE, there's medications that are helping people with the headaches. So that is, that is why I share the story with people to know that, yes, this could happen to you. And since Jim's diagnosis, and I have shared the story on Facebook and social media, I've gotten a lot of response from people saying, you know, I'm afraid that I may have this. And my response back is, if you're afraid, you may have it you probably do please here here are the resources so Mm -hmm. that is it
1: wow
0: thank you lori Um, can i ask a couple of questions yes yes when did um jim first start um you said that he was saying that i know i have cte about what age was that so
2: yes so he was 52 when um, Junior Sayo passed. And so that's, and then, so that's, that was the first. And then, you know, in 2019, with that conversation with Michael, after he had heard about Jeff Stagg's diagnosis, he um, was worried with Michael. You know, I often think about that. And I know Jim was, was hiding him,
0: his symptoms until he could no longer hide them. That's what I was going to ask. because You were saying that he was a copious note taker. And I'm wondering, was that just part of his personality from a young age? Or was that something he was compensating for?
2: Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. And um, another thing, I mean, there's there's so many other signs too that I didn't even kind of really touch on. So yes, he was. That was part of, he always would, he, so he would always, that was always part of his personality. He was always the guy with the list crossing it off um what was what then what was happening is he was then leaving himself notes that he did it to, and then he kept both notes to remind himself that he needed to do it and that he had already done it that and that that started coming out in plain sight too because you know jim was always very neat he was very organized and in his fifties, when it, it was time to buy a new car, and he's like, I just want the simplest car on the market. I don't want these gadgets. And he says, I don't want to have to be worrying about like how to drive my car. So we bought a Jeep and it's Jeeps, you know, it's it's a manual lock, there's no electronics. And it was fun. You know, I mean, it was a fun car to have. And I remember like when I first met Jim, I was so impressed with his car and how neat and organized he kept it. And I'm like, yeah, someone like me, a fellow organized person. I was shocked at all the sticky notes that were all over the dashboard Mm -hmm. and how cluttered and messy the car was. And I remember saying, I'm like, Jim, what the heck? And he's like, oh bird, just I just need one space that is mine. He says, he's like, can you just let this be? I'm like, yeah, I'll let it be. You know, get my mouth shut. I'm like, let's drive my car, please. That's neat. And then, you know, when we bought this ranch, I mean, we had only lived there for two years. When I was going through all the things in the garage, you would have thought we had lived there for 20 years. I mean, he had like an office supply store of sticky notes and, you know, all the clues are in plain sight. I don't know about you, but Jim in every bathroom had a drawer for sticky notes so that they would always be right there. And, um, you know, that was just, that was, you realize when you look back, like, After Jim had passed, I realized like how CTE was a slow seduction, you know, and how I accommodated, you know, it was when you live with someone every day, you don't
0: see it. It's a slow progression.
2: Yes. Where my
0: children were starting to
2: see, they were Mm -hmm. starting to see a slowed version of his speech. You know, he would take his time or Jim was always very on par, but they would be like, come on, dad, come on, you know? And they noticed that and him writing his notes became slower. So everything kind of slowed down. They also noticed, you know, he, he talked a lot. He was kind of the commander. He commanded the conversation and now he was sitting back and he was observing which was, which is not a bad trait. I mean, you you know, it's, it's nice to have the yin and yang. It's not like he was, you know, obnoxious about it, but you know, Jim Moore, he was, he was the leader of most things. And so they did notice that I didn't notice it, but um, those kinds of things started to
1: take place subtly. Mm -hmm. It's funny how you can these things just kind of change over time and actually when you're out of the situation you look back and see so many different signs and symptoms that you never even noticed before and it's going back to what you just said trisha it's so consuming and also there's a sense of naivety that you don't want to think there's anything wrong with your loved one yeah and you and you dance around it
2: like you dance with them you know you justify everything You do. I mean, you know, I haven't even gotten into, and and I I know we've gone a long time, but you know, there were moments of road rage. There were, I mean, there was a road rage incident when we were dropping off our daughter at the airport in 2019. And I thought we were going to go down. And I just remember like screaming at him, just please stop, stop. And he wasn't, you know, someone had cut him off and, and this, this driver was happily engaged happily engaging in the rage the the, both of them were at fault so it wasn't like one or the other they were they were at it on the freeway on a sunday morning and i am crying what disturbed me more was the look of calm on his face there was no emotion but he was just he was he was gonna win and that it was very uncharacteristic of him. And I remember I'm thinking to myself, okay, the laugh, like crying and begging him to stop. And finally, finally it stopped. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't really remember who stopped it, but they both stopped it. And I just remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna just shut up for now because I want calm to get home. And I remember I said to him, okay, I'm gonna go take a shower when we come down. We need, I'd like to have a conversation. I came down, Jim didn't remember the road rage incident. He said, what are you talking about? I said, what am I talking about? I said, how you, we almost, I, I was afraid for my life. And then he goes, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, you have to promise me that will never happen again, Jim. I said, I have never been so scared in my whole life and then he gave me a hug he said i'm sorry now you would think that would have been a huge red flag for me i mean looking back i'm like there's i mean hello and why is that okay why is that ever okay but it happened once or twice in our 35 years and i believed jim when he said it wasn't going to happen again and i believed his remorse because he was i mean he
0: was remorseful I've heard so many wives use the some of the same vocabulary that you were using, like um, glimpses. You you would see glimpses of him, like come through, and then he would go away, and then he would come back, and oh, totally makes sense. And the thing is, Jim, I Jim couldn't
2: verbalize this, but I have read from other people who who are suffering from suspected CTE. Um, they one gentleman wrote, he's like, it's like, you're in a conversation and you leave, you go away. You don't know where you are. You're like in a tunnel and you don't realize you're away and you come back to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's when the anxiety, like, what did I just miss? What's going on? Where am I? And I, when I read that, it made me feel that's how Jim felt when he got lost or not he, he had to pull over on the side of the road and that's how he was feeling in his conversations of day to day with this project you know just leaving the conversation not really knowing that you've left and then you come back. Can you imagine what that must feel like? Yeah I mean I just I, just my heart breaks for these people that have to go through that and just lo- literally losing your mind that is what's happening.
0: You're you're losing your mind. You know, you wonder which is worse being aware of it or not being aware of it. Yeah. So, you know, my heart
2: goes out to every single family member, every single person affected by CTE, th- those people who have the CTE, their struggles, the family members. I mean, as Pam Webster was saying, and also Brandy, it's like, this is something that will always live inside of your body. You know, I mean, I have made peace with Jim's death by suicide. I, I, I know I've known Jim so well over the years. I understand um, his intent. I also do believe that the CTE does make a difference on their ability to actually want to die by suicide I mean if he didn't have the CTE there would be no death by suicide so I know that that's still not really proven you know that they go hand in hand but I know Jim I've known him and I and I know that if he didn't have CTE he would be alive and thriving and um and you know that's something that our family, we'll, I'm going to be a grandmother in in a few weeks for the first time. And, you know, it's a wonderful, I'm so excited. And and yet, sometimes I want to cry my eyes out, because, you know, the best grandfather in the world is not going to be here to celebrate it with us. So CTE, you know, takes, takes some of the best men and women. Now, I mean, really, I mean, wow. these people that play the sports, you know, I'm, I've always been attracted to that alpha male um, athlete, and they, for all the characteristics that they uh, provide, and, you know, a lot of these people that play on a high level, they're, they are the kindest and most humble individuals that you've met. I mean, I, that's, that's what I, meeting all the wives and talking about their loved ones, I mean, really... You know, playing at that level and and achieving that level, I think really um, does instill a humbleness in them because they know that they have the ability to do that. And they're just kind souls. I mean, they play a very violent sport, yet they are just kind and compassionate. So, you know, losing that is, is a big loss. Losing your loved one like that, and no matter how it takes you, no matter how CTE takes their lives um it's a huge loss for people to go through
1: mm-hmm. well can I just say how beautifully you told that story I can listen to these these stories all the time and we've had a range of guests on and they just take me back every single time and it's so lovely to hear kind of a different side to it that although Jim was struggling with symptoms he was actually quite high functioning um in terms of not having kind of the alcohol addiction the the drug excessive drug use and he was still doing normal habits so i think for our listeners it's really it'll be really nice to listen to a different side and and hopefully i'm sure there will be someone who relates to some aspect of it and that will bring them a lot of um, peace and a bit of relief i think Uh, because like you said it is a lonely disease and it's nice to know that there's other people that are are with you through the process too right and you know
2: the thing that amazes me is that when you know, I wrote the legacy story, um, because as you can tell, I mean, look at how long it took me to tell the story. So many people were so shocked at Jim's death. I mean, it, it was just shocking to not only to me who lived and slept six feet away from him, you know, six inches away from him, um, and not see the signs, but I I told the story so that explain the story. I would say, okay, just Google Jim Moore's CTE and you can read the whole story that happened to it. Um, but so many people still do not know what CTE is and there's I think a lot of people that are living with the symptoms of it and they do not know that they are and they're 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 still highly functional like Jim was and and then the catastrophic event happens and they're left like what just happened? And I became, I didn't even know after we donated Jim's uh, brain for study, uh, the, the day after he passed, I had to Google, I'm like, what does CTE even mean? And then it took me about three days before I could comfortably pronounce encephalopathy. So mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I, know, I,
1: it took me a while you know,
2: too. do I remember <laughs> like what is C? What is CTE? What is it? And then you know, then I became you know a Google expert, and and I appreciate all the people who wrote legacy stories you know because that
0: yeah yeah. i was going to interrupt too when 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 laurie's talking about um the family legacy uh our legacy family that's from um concussion legacy foundation and georgia since you've been a part of that explain um a little bit about that and we'll also put links below
1: yep so um the concussion legacy foundation i know trisha and i we've definitely spoken about them a lot in the last kind of or every single episode i think we've mentioned them because they're just such a great resource but um it's they have an amazing kind of part of their page where family members are able to share the legacy of their loved ones um and that's something that I think is is lovely because it allows other people who are going through it now or have been through it to go and read other people's stories and relate to them in in some sense and I also think it's lovely to listening and and read back at your own story after you've written it because I think it does bring a lot of peace and and for some people there's a mixture of happy and obviously sad memories but them happy ones are lovely to look back on and Trisha and I have definitely trying to recreate a similar thing with the podcast too where on our website we we have a legacy page um alongside a guest page too just so people who are listening really understand the faces almost behind the podcast episodes and and can do a bit more research if they if they want to um but what would like just said we'll definitely leave some links down to the the concussion legacy page and we'll leave if you if okay with you laura we'll leave your story um or link to your story on right no too.
2: absolutely absolutely and that's why i wrote it I really did. I mean, you know, oftentimes, you know, in the first year after Jim's death, I was like, what do I do with this story? Like, I just, you know, and I often thought, what is, what, what would Jim want me to do with this? Because once, when it happens to you, it's not like you want to, you know, say, Hey, you want to hear my story about CTE, but you, you want people to be aware of the symptoms and where to get help
0: you know yeah. you know
2: especially because as i was telling in that story you know there may be some wife walking down a street seeing the full moon rise and in her heart in her she knows something is terribly terribly wrong because obviously the goal is prevention the the goal is prevention and help you know preventing a suicide and also helping somebody who's struggling in the way that people struggle with CTE symptoms. So um, yes, anyway, you guys are great and I really appreciate you doing this podcast. There's a um, cathartic element to being able to share with kind eyes that understand exactly what you're saying without a judgment because, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's still stigma with suicide there just is I mean it's an unintentional I mean I've I've experienced it and it's it's not intentional I've had to really examine my own stigma that I brought to suicide you know we I, I mean I'm 60 years old it was like people don't die by suicide you know or we don't talk about it and you know I've come to realize it really doesn't matter how they died is that they're dead. They died. And you know it's die by cancer, death by cancer, death by um, car accident. you know so it's there it's when you experience that kind of death, you don't you don't even you're just sad that the person's gone. And, and it does add another layer though of trauma to it. So, you know, you have to do that, you know, that trauma work as well. So um, it's a, it's a complicated grief. Let's just put it this way. That's Mm -hmm. a perfect way to put it. That was a great way. Um, I'm really lucky that I have access to, to a great therapist and, you know, I mean, that is all part of the mental health issues that, that, that is related with cte as well so and you know this this may sound kind of weird but um the reason why i'm doing a lot of this work is i really wanted to end generational trauma i mean there is such a thing that you don't realize what what i don't i didn't realize what i was carrying from this suicide trauma until i went into therapy and then it in once you're aware you, you were like, Oh, okay. And, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other subject. But, um, you know, I really wanted to be like you said, Trish, I wanted to be a wholehearted person. And I, and I think about Jim and the kind of life that he wants for me, you know, he and what he wants for my family. And, and he wrote that in his note. And he said, you know, I just, I just remember all the happy times that we had as a family and we were a happy family. And I want to continue that for my, for my family and um, live the life that he intended for us to live.
0: Sounds like he was a wonderful man, Lori. And thank
2: you, Trisha. He was, he was, you know, and, um, and he'd be saying, you know, Okay, ladies, you know, <laughs> wrap it up.
0: <laughs> Go outside now. So. Not enough
2: about me, you know. Or tell me, tell more about the good stuff, you know. Yeah. But he did, you know, the, the last thing that I will say it was interesting because he was football, football, football. You know, my my sons all played popcorn or football until I mean they started basically at nine years old. Um, they didn't play at the level that Jim played. I mean, he was, it, it, you know, at that generation yeah. where you, you lead by, you lead with your head and, you know, but there's still the mentality in, in youth football during, even when my kids were growing up is, you know, hit or be hit. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about what you said, Trisha, in your introductory, introductory podcast about like, you only get one brain and there are no uh, brain transplants. And, um, he did say a couple months prior to his death and, 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 friends have said that they have said that he has told them, you know, be careful of your head. And, um, one of our friends was saying, I'm not going to let my son play football. And I remember like kicking my daughter under the table going, Oh my gosh, here comes the big discussion, you know, and Jim just said, you know, why do you say that? She goes, well, maybe I'll let them play football when they're older, but there's just too much risk. And Jim said, you know, I think that's a good idea. Wow. And I, re- I remember looking at my daughter and she was like,
0: oh, wow, you know,
2: yeah. kind of relieved because this was her future daughter-in-law that saying we were like we were like worried <laughs> like oh god Jim's gonna <sighs> be Jim and you know say that's a mistake this is what football's done for me but he just mm-hmm. and, and and I and I remember driving afterwards like, I go wow I said that was that was unusual he goes you know he goes I don't know he goes I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary for kids to be playing that young he says I mean he goes you can still play when you get to middle school or high school he says if you're an athlete He goes, look at all the the athletes that didn't even play football and they go on, they're playing and they're playing baseball in college and they go on to play in the pros. He goes, a a great athlete is a great athlete. So it doesn't really matter when you start. And and that's why I promote the flag under four, no flag under 14. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the good news and actually
0: our area, they no longer have tackle football.
2: Pop Warner is done and yes wow yes it's not a
0: law or it's not on the books in San Diego it's just no 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 but you know
2: and then and that's a whole other subject about you know socioeconomic places because you know people realize okay you don't need the football scholarship to be able to go to college but in other areas you do you know so
1: yeah you're completely right and I mean there's so much politics in sport and politics around CT that definitely are open to discussion and I think more and more people are having those discussions which is very very vital um, to develop our understanding and awareness of it but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today Laurie and sharing your story with everyone you are really such a remarkable lady and today was a really special story so I appreciate how open and honest you were sharing it with us and i know our listeners will really appreciate that too um so yeah thank you so so much for coming on and joining us today thank you okay.
2: thank, thank you, you so you much guys. Laura, it's it speaking, to you guys.
1: well that is the end of today's episode everyone we hope you enjoyed it as usual and we will see you next week monday at eight o'clock for the next episode of ctu talk hope everyone has a fab week and we will see you then bye